amen. So you can have a seat. And uh, it sounds like our kiddos will be dismissed right now to your classes. Um, it's really good to be here with you guys today. For those of you who are staying in the room, um, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open your Bible up. We're going to be in a couple places today. I'm going to do one of these things to you uh, where I ask you to open up to Exodus uh, chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And then mark your place there. And then our, our primary passage is going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So if you're using a device, uh, you're just one of those new cool kids who's going to have to figure it out. Uh, so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, and then we'll kind of roll on forward into Exodus chapter 20. So uh, my name's Aaron Clayton. Uh, greetings from Remedy Church. Uh, we moved to Waxahachie, Texas. Let's say it together. Waxahachie. I'm the only one who said it. No one knows how to say it. Uh, old Indian word. So we're in Waxahachie, Texas. We moved there about seven and a half years ago to plant a church. I used to be on staff at another church with Luke. We kind of went our separate ways. He had enough of me. Um, and so we went to Waxahachie. They came here. Um, so we started or moved to our city about seven and a half years ago. And then I just want to say before we kind of dive in today that Covenant Church um, has been a huge encouragement to us along the way, um, have helped us financially, have sent people to labor alongside of us, um, have sent sound equipment. Uh, I think you got one of our trailers that's still parked out here. Like it's just been a friendship um, and, a, and a partnership striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so we really love your pastors a lot personally. They've invested a lot into me, for my, me personally um, and my family. And uh, our church is just a really big fan. Uh, we talk about Covenant Church a lot. So it's just really good to be here. Thank you for your generosity, uh, for your concern, uh, for the gospel and for the mission and for other people in other places who maybe don't have any direct impact on what's happening here in Shreveport Bossier. It's a really cool thing for me. So it's always great to be with you guys and stand in front of you. We just really love you a whole lot. And so um, today to start out with, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And I know um, that you are heading towards Sabbath, the season of Sabbath for the church. And we have something like this at our church as well. And so we kind of know a little bit about what this is like. And so I want to talk just a little bit about Sabbath today. But sort of as we get into it, I want to kind of ask this one question to sort of reign over everything that we're going to do today. If there was one mega purpose of the Sabbath, what would it be? Like the Sabbath that God gave us in Scripture and then also sort of the, the functional season of Sabbath and rest that you guys are about to get into. If there was one, like there are a lot of purposes, a lot of really good things, but if there was like one mega purpose over all of it, what would it be? And I know we would say, man, rest is a big part of it, but even bigger than that, even bigger than rest or pausing to rest from certain things, there was one mega thing we could say, this is what we want to have accomplished as individuals and as a corporate church family over the Sabbath, what would it be? And so to start today, I want to talk in a passage that's about money. And I think you hear that and you go, what in the world does a passage about money have to do with Sabbath? And so let's just dive right in and we'll see it together. So we're going to look at a, a verse here uh, toward the end of chapter 6. But to get to it, I want to look at chapter 6, verse 19. So Matthew 6 and verse 19. This is Jesus teaching. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's a really big piece that we need to remember. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And then he goes on a few verses later 
And this is our main verse to today in, in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so we dive, I think, right into this. And, and, and I think when we see sometimes some of us, especially if we've not been maybe around healthy churches or even this particular church for a while, our immediate reaction might be, here we go. We're going to talk about money. And Luke and Jason didn't even have the courage to do it themselves. They brought in a hired gun to talk about money, right? But we're not going to talk about money today because money's not the point of this passage, which is strange because he's talking very specifically about money, but money's not the point. This verse is a part of a larger teaching here called the Sermon on the Mount. So the book of Matthew, in, in a real nutshell, is Jesus essentially announcing that the kingdom has come. And Matthew's making this case that Jesus is the king. And so Jesus is announcing the kingdom has come. And so the Sermon on the Mount is essentially Jesus teaching about what life under the rule and reign of him looks like. That's sort of, it's all these very practical things about money and fasting and anxiety and the golden rule. You all know the golden rule, right? It's just all these very practical things about life because he's saying, if there is one king and his kingdom has come, this is what life looks like when we live under his rule and his reign. And so he's laying out all these pieces and these values for them in the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke also um, in, in the, the gospel writer of Luke, uh, in the gospel of Luke in chapter 16, also records this statement about money and a discussion that he's recording there about how we view money and how we use money. So he says it too. And sort of the, the micro point in both of those passages is that you can't serve God and money. That you can't have two masters, you can't serve God and money. So what I want to kind of see today is this broader principle that really functions like an umbrella over that micro principle that you can't serve God and money. And it's real simple. It's right here. It's this, that you can't serve two masters. So even bigger than just specifically is he talking about money, he's making this much broader point That's it's so simple that it would be easy for us to miss it, but it's so profound when you hear it coming from Jesus, the real master, that he says you cannot serve two masters. So not only can you not serve God and money, you can't serve God and anything else or anyone else. Because you can't serve two masters. You can like multiple things. You can even give your time and energy to multiple things. You can love multiple things and multiple people. You can love multiple values. You can even serve multiple causes. Like you can be involved in different things and give yourself in different ways and have interests in different ways. But at some point, those things will eventually interfere with one another in your highest love. Your highest loyalty and highest allegiance can only be to one thing. Because at some point, they'll clash. They'll conflict with one another. Uh, it's kind of like this. We have some LSU football fans in the room. I don't figure there's any around here anywhere, right? You guys big Saints fans here too? You get a lot of Cowboy fans too since we're north, north Louisiana, kind of some of both. We had a little bit of clapping. You don't have to be ashamed. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. So you have kind of these two competing interests, right? Now the football, they usually do a good job of kind of keeping the two off of each other so everybody can get their piece of, of the financial pie so we don't want to get on top of each other. But then every once in a while, something will kind of change, right? So just imagine like LSU, and this is, it's funny because they do a good job of all keeping off of each other so they can get their piece of the pie, except when it comes to bowl season, right? It feels like there are 97 bowl games. That's like the, the consolation trophy of college football, that everybody gets to play in a bowl game, right? 
Um, but just imagine that LSU makes it into a bowl game. Maybe they're in a more significant one this year. It's in late December. And then the, let's say the Saints are in, in, a, in a meaningful game at the end of December. It matters for their season. And they're both on at the same time. Which one are you going to watch? And you're like, well, just DVR one and watch them both, right? But I'm trying to make a point here so you can't say that. If they're on at the same time, ultimately your fanhood, your loyalty is to one more than the other so that if they're competing, you can only choose one, right? You see how that works? So let's do a different one. So imagine you're at work, um, you have a project that's coming close to the deadline or a deal you're trying to close and you're coming right up to it. And man, it looks like you're going to finish or it looks like you're going to close that deal. You're going to finish whatever thing is kind of happening by the deadline. It's going to happen. But then you get an emergency 911 text from your spouse. I need you to call me right now. So I, I'm sorry, I need to step out for just a moment. You need to make a phone call. You call your spouse. I'm in a really big meeting. We got a lot of money riding on this. What is it? And your kid fell out of the tree and broke their leg and is being rushed by ambulance to the hospital. Your spouse says, I need you to meet me at the hospital right now. So which one are you going to do? You're going to close that deal? Are you going to rush to the hospital, right? Now, those are both good things. There's nothing wrong with closing the deal. That's an important thing when it comes to your, your business or your livelihood or your family. Both very good and important things, both things you need to do. But at the end, you can only have one highest allegiance so that in that moment, one of those things will serve the other. And so you see this principle that's kind of true across our lives that you can't serve two masters, and you see this in a few other places. In James chapter 4, verse 4, he writes and says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God or hatred toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So he's not just talking about being friendly to the world. He's talking about aligning yourselves with the world. So anyone who wants to align themselves with the world makes themselves an enemy of God. Because you can't serve the world and serve God at the same time. And in Galatians chapter 1, uh, Paul is writing and he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Same principle here. You can either serve men or you can serve God, but you can't serve both. So you have this principle that's kind of absolute in the smaller issues of your life and in the grand scheme of your entire life that you can't serve two masters right? You can love multiple things or people. You can even serve multiple things or people, but you can only be mastered by one thing. And so this is the principle that Jesus is laying out for us, that you can only have one master. You can love multiple things, but you can only be mastered by one thing. You can't serve two masters. And so it really comes down to this. It's kind of the, the base of all of it. What master do you serve? Because we all serve something. So you have to answer the question, what master do you serve? And here's the interesting thing. That's not a question you answer with your words. You don't tell me your answer to that question. I see it in your life. You answer the question of what, the question of what master do you serve by the way you go about your life. You don't have to answer it for us. Anybody who's around you can answer it for you because they can look at your life and see it. But what master do you serve? It could be money and possessions. It might be comfort or security right? And you would never say that. Man, what master do you serve? Oh, I serve money, 
right? But when it comes down to it, when you're making decisions, when you're investing your time and your energy and your resources, your life indicates what you're most committed to. It might be pleasure. For some of us, it is. We serve the master of pleasure. For others, it's acceptance or our image or popularity, how people see us. You serve that as your master. Maybe it's control or power. Maybe it's success. You know, it could even be family. Such a good thing is family that you might serve that, that you devote everything you have to your family first and foremost. Maybe it's your kids or making your spouse happy. Maybe for some of you who don't have the family you want, it's getting the family. That's your master, that's your highest value is is finding a spouse or having kids or getting the family that we've been after. Or it can be Jesus, but it can't be both. You can love multiple things and people even give your time and energy to multiple things, but you can only be mastered by one thing. So I just wanna put that on the table. That's sort of what we're working with today. And now I wanna zoom out just a little bit and kind of from our own personal lives and look at the big picture of our corporate life together as the church. And what does this look like for us? And so in Acts chapter 2, um, I'm going to look at verse 42. I'd encourage you to flip there if you can quickly. If not, you can just listen along. Um, but you see in the, in the beginning of kind of Acts chapter 2, this is where the Holy Spirit comes and they speak in tongues. The fire kind of is over their heads and all these people gather and go, what in the world is happening here? Because they're hearing the mighty works of God in their own languages that none of these people actually speak. So it's this miracle that God's executing. And so Peter preaches to them the gospel. They respond to faith in Jesus. And then after that, we get to verse 42. It says, and they all, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Wouldn't that be great? That in the fellowship of the church, that just the awe of God and the awe of what he was doing came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, which I think is really unique. It's not just this widespread everybody in the bodies doing all these signs, but the apostles were doing these. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You just see this togetherness of the community, the body of Christ, living life together, sacrificing for one another, just deep in relationships, living like family together. And then in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. So even people outside of their community saw the way they lived and they had favor with them. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so there's this outward element to it too. That not only are we living like family and sacrificing for one another and following Christ together, but all the people around us are seeing us and we have their favor. And because of that, the Lord just keeps every day adding to the number of people who are coming to faith in Jesus and joining this faith family. So you see this this picture of the New Testament church. And this is really the most basic model of a healthy church. Now this is first, second century when they kind of lived this way. We live differently now. So of course our lives and context looks different, but at its most kind of root healthy piece, this is a picture of what a healthy church really looks like. And it started when they responded to the gospel of faith in Jesus and then they devoted themselves. There it is. Just like we saw in Matthew 6, they devoted themselves to some very particular things with conviction and perseverance, things that were centered around Jesus and the gospel. They devoted to these things, these practices in life that were, that were centered around Jesus and the gospel. 
Now, here's the reality. And if you are not maybe a person who's been around church for a long time, you probably can really resonate with this. When we look at so many of our churches in America, and to be honest, even our own personal involvement in those churches, we don't see this kind of devotion. We just don't see people largely in American churches who live this way, right? We're interested in these things or engaged, and maybe we even attend the services and participate a little bit. We're around it a little bit, but we're not devoted to it as a core value, that this is like a way of life for us, that we have given our hearts and our lives to these things. And we say we're tired and we're busy, or maybe we talk about kids or school, or to be honest, a bunch of other very reasonable and believable reasons of why we can't engage these things because we all have these things going on. And so the problem is not our capacity for devotion. Our problem is that devotion to other things are in the way of our devotion to Jesus. We can be devoted to work, right? We can be devoted to that when we need to. We're devoted to our own activities, right? We're devoted to working out. You CrossFit people, I see you, man. I know you can be devoted to stuff, right? We can be devoted to our kids' activities, We're devoted to organizations that we love. You're even devoted to sleeping or eating. You make sure you fit that into your schedule. You give it the time that it needs. So we don't have any problem devoting ourselves to things. That's not the issue. In fact, we're great at it. The issue is what are we devoted to? What are we giving our lives for and giving them to? And into all of that, Jesus just kind of speaks clearly, but with gentleness and lovingly says, you can't serve two masters. You can love things, you can be interested in them and give your time and energy to them, but you can only be mastered by one thing. And so the question, again, even as a church family, is what master are you serving? What are you giving your life to as a church, as a missional community? What are we giving our lives to? And so I want to turn the corner and kind of answer this question now. So what does all of this have to do with Sabbath? It's a great principle. Obviously, it's true. And we strive for that to be true, but what in the world does that have to do with Sabbath? I know that that word Sabbath, especially if you're not a church person, can sound very religious, even limiting in some ways, like it's all the things I can't do on my day off, or just out of touch with modern day reality. And I know a lot of you here at Covenant have some teaching and discussion as you're kind of heading toward this season of Sabbath. I want to say this, that the idea, the principle of Sabbath rest is actually extremely relatable and just an extremely useful rhythm if you understand what it's really about. And I know you guys have had some of that, so I'm not going to spend a long time diving into that this morning, but I just want to read a couple of passages. The first one would be Exodus 20, which is part of the Ten Commandments, which is where the Sabbath comes from. In verse 8, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, which is interesting, right? Most of us predominantly work a five-day work week. But he says six days you shall work. So even in your home, right, that sixth day is a day of work. It's a day of serving and working and doing things around the house and for other people. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or female servant or even your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, even visitors to you. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is where the principle of Sabbath comes from. Now flip over to Exodus chapter 31 verse 12. This is where I want to kind of tie all of this together. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Now here it is. 
For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You see it? This doesn't have anything to do with rest, at least these couple of verses here. He says, but over the generations of all my people, you will be reminded because of this covenant relationship and this act of Sabbath that you do in the midst of this covenant relationship, it will be a sign between you and me so that you will know that I, the Lord, am the one who sanctifies you. I am the one who saves you. I am the one who is working in your midst. I am the one who is doing things inside your heart. And this Sabbath rhythm of rest will be something that will put that in front of you again and again and again so that you will remember that I am the one who sanctifies you. So this is really interesting for me then to go, okay, then what's the purpose of Sabbath, right? Is it rest? Because that's definitely a part of it. Is it for us to reconnect with the Lord our God? Because that's definitely a part of it. But I just want to kind of give you something maybe even more elementary to that today and say that Sabbath is about remembering who your master is and what he's like. Like that's the purpose of Sabbath. That we would stop and remember what master we serve. Stop all the other things. That we would remember what master we serve and what he's really like. So sure, Sabbath is about rest. It's about physical rest so that our bodies and our minds can recover and refresh and be ready to go and work from a place of rest. But it's not just idle rest, right, that we don't just stop doing a bunch of things. But while we're not doing the ordinary tasks of our work, we are focusing our hearts and our minds specifically on Jesus, and specifically on his work on the cross for us. I just love it as we're reading or singing the songs before one of the lines, my life is hidden with Christ on high. He's already accomplished the work and seated us with him if we trust him in faith in the heavenly places so we don't have to go and work that stuff out. We're already hidden there with him. And so Sabbath is this, this rhythm of us remembering and reminding ourselves of those things, focusing on his work on the cross to bring us back to God, focusing our relationship with him, focusing on his character and who he is, focusing on his purposes in the world and his ways of accomplishing those things, just setting our eyes on those things and remembering and focusing in on them. And so it's us being reminded who our master is and what he's like. And he's like Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now this is spoken to a bunch of people who are trying to keep up with this religious system that just feels like 10,000 pounds weighing down on top of them. And Jesus is to them saying, no, come and follow me and take my burden upon you because my burden is light. Why is it light? Because he's already done the heavy lifting when he paid our sin debt on the cross to reconcile us back to God. Like that's the thing we would most have to spend our lives working toward is how could I possibly be right with God? And Jesus has already settled that through his death on the cross and through his resurrection so that if we trust in that by faith, he's already fixed it. And so he says, believe that, rest in that, come and just follow me, that God is already pleased with us through our faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection on our behalf. And so Sabbath rest is us purposefully putting down work to be reminded that work is not our master. 
And it's purposefully setting aside some other things like our phones, like our activities in life to be reminded that popularity is not our master and success is not our master and comfort and security is not your master and pleasure, even family is not your master, but that Jesus is our master and his yoke is easy and his burden is light because he carries it for us. All he's asking us to do is just come walk with him by faith. He's going to carry the yoke. He's going to do the heavy work. And so his burden is light. And when we let other things steal our Sabbath away, like work, when we feel like we need to be working a little, or like activities or about other people's expectations for us, we are giving something that God commanded that we give to him to something else. Now, doesn't that by definition make that thing our master? When we're giving something that God commanded we give to him, to some other thing, that's the very definition of that thing being our master instead of him. And he's asking something different of us. Man, we enslave ourselves to things that don't give us life. Things that trap us and demand things from us whose yokes are heavy and we lose our devotion to Jesus. But when you get the master right with a capital M, then the devotion of your life just follows naturally. You don't have to like work so hard and fix all of these other things that when you have the master, the one master right in your life, your life just starts to follow. And so Sabbath rest, it's not just a nice idea or a luxury, it's a necessity. That's why God commanded it. He didn't just suggest it as a good idea. Because Sabbath is when we remember who our master is, what he's like, and then we reconnect our hearts to his. That's the purpose of what's happening there. Now, it's interesting, uh, we usually approach Sabbath like we approach our yearbook. Anybody got one of these? High school or college yearbook. You get that, you like wait all year, especially when it comes to the end of the year. What's the first thing you do when you get your yearbook? Flip to the back, index, right? How many times am I in here? Oh, there's six page numbers. I'm in this thing six times. And you go and you look at every single one of those pictures. And, oh, I didn't even know they got a picture of me doing that. And you're humiliated. And you see your other pictures and the people, right? You're looking for yourself, right? Flipping through, where am I at? What clubs am I in teams? Then maybe you pick out two or three other friends and you kind of lose interest, right? You're like, I'm not going to go and see everybody. Then you kind of flip through and see some of the other pictures, But when you get your yearbook, I mean, it's primarily about you. I'm looking for myself in this book. How does this apply to me? Where am I in this? Everything here is kind of about me. And so many times we approach God's word and we approach Sabbath the same way. We're looking for where am I in this? What does this have to do with me? What does this say to me? What do I get out of this? And when we approach Sabbath that way, it just becomes all about us. And so when we approach Sabbath in a way that's all about us, we do it if we want to. And if we don't want to, we don't do it. Or we do it when it fits our schedule. Or when it seems like it's working for us, we'll do it. Well, it's really not working anymore. It's become kind of a hassle. I'm just not going to do it because it becomes all about you. But Sabbath is not about us, right? That Sabbath is when we remember who our master is and what he's like and reconnect our hearts to his, right? Like that's the purpose of Sabbath. It's not just for rest. It's not just a day off. It's a point to stop a lot of other things and sort of clear the table a little bit and be reminded of who our master is. And unless we think he might be heavy or demanding things from us, it's a chance for us to be reminded of what he's actually like and to connect with him, right? And so I want to move into just a few practical pieces of what that might look like for our life. But before we do that, I just want to pause and pray And just ask that God would push that seed really deep into the soil of our hearts. 
that we would long to really be connected to the one master and that we would commit our lives to what it takes to get to that place. So pray with me if you would. Father, we just thank you for your goodness that you have done so many things in our midst that we could never have accomplished on our own. We couldn't have arrived at some place where we finally got it or didn't need all this work anymore, but you have accomplished it for us in your son, Jesus Christ, through his death to pay for our sin, through his resurrection to give new life again. And so God, as we follow him, we hear this call um, that he is our master, that he is a master with an easy yoke that is light, but that he says we can only serve one master. And so God, would you just press that deep into my own heart? that the things that threaten me, that pull me away from you, um, that you would make those clear. I pray for everyone in this room, um, even maybe those who don't know Jesus this morning, that they would hear him saying he wants to be the master and that he is a good and kind and loving and sacrificial master. And that you would give us a devotion to that in a way that we would set aside things, that we would pause to give you our first and our best and be reminded consistently of who you are. And God, I just pray for this church um, that you would do some really God-sized, unbelievable things as they devote themselves to you in that way. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, so I don't wanna just leave sort of a seed of an idea without some practical handles um, for how to pursue it. And so for the next, uh, the rest of our time here, I just wanna kind of talk about practical ideas for how to Sabbath or how to rest in Jesus. And so before I get to the practical, because I know some of you are like, that's what I've been waiting for. I just wanna say this, that Sabbath is primarily not about doing. So we're gonna talk about some things to do and not do, but Sabbath is primarily about a relationship. It's stopping your doing to remember and reconnect to him. So you have to start from that place. But first one here, practical ideas for how to Sabbath or how to rest in Jesus. The first one is plan it and plan for it. So here's the reality. You'll never Sabbath well unless you schedule it. I can't think of, I was sitting there as I was kind of working through some of this this weekend going, I can't think of one person in my life who to me it looks like they Sabbath, that they stop and rest in God well, who hasn't made space for it in their life. That's just the reality, right? You might have a day off from work or something like that, but it's not gonna be real rest or real Sabbath. It'll just be some downtime and you'll get back right to it. So you have to schedule, you have to plan it into your rhythm, right? So your weekly rhythm, you have to pick time and it may not always be Sunday. Some of you work on Sundays or you have other obligations on Sundays. So maybe it's Saturday or it's Monday or there's, maybe there's a couple of half days during the week if that's a season of life that you're in. But you have to make time for it in your weekly schedule and in your monthly schedule and, and, and in your, your annual rhythm. That we plan time to stop all the doing, to stop all the things that are happening and just depend on the Lord and wait for Him and hear from Him. So you have to schedule it in. But then secondly, you have to not just plan it, but plan for it, right? Which means you've got to get your work to a place where you can leave it by the side. Like it's, a, it's to a place where it can wait when I leave, right? Or it's something that can be done when I get back. So that while you're gone, you're not constantly checking email on your phone. Or you've got to have your computer out two or three times to work on things. Or I've got to go and meet this person. You've got to plan ahead for it and get it to a place where it's ready for you, right? To just pause and come back to some things. And here's the reality too, every once in a while for that to be true, you're just going to have to stop. 
They're like, man, as hard as you're planning, I'm trying to get to a place, it's just not going to be there. And for you to exercise the discipline of trusting the Lord and giving him your best, you're just going to have to get to the end of a Friday and just stop and say, God knows these things. I've worked faithfully to get to the end of them. I will take care of them when I come back and I'm going to trust him on the weekend. Right? And as you feel stress or anxiety, just give it to him, right? But decide certain things you will and won't do during that time. We're going to plan it and plan for it. Number two, rest from your primary work. And I'm not going to give, spend a lot of time here because this is kind of what we mostly know, right? That you take time off of work. So for some of you, that's your actual vocation, like a job that you earn money from. For some of you, your primary work is in the house, right? Maybe working around the house or it's homeschooling kids. Um, maybe your primary work right now is you're in school, right? Maybe it's something like that, but rest from your primary work. And even if you enjoy it, like some of us are blessed by God to have a job that we just really love going and doing. So I don't mind doing a little bit more of it on Saturday, but man, for the purposes of depending on the Lord and hearing from him, don't do it. Just push pause and rest from your primary work. And as you feel stressed about that, that things are being left, that I feel like this needs to be done or, or this person is waiting on me, just very purposefully and consistently give it to the Lord. Just pray about it and trust it to Jesus. Ask him to work those things out and depend on him. So rest from your primary work, but then also rest from things that feel like work. You guys in here love to cut the grass? Like, man, it's just good. I love to get outside um, and it's, it's kind of warm and I can throw a podcast in or some music on. I like to work in the yard, maybe sweat a little bit, right? That's not me. And I hear, see a lot of you guys shaking your head too. That junk wears me out so bad. It's a good, like I'm, I'm uh, living up to my curse, right? Working the ground, mowing the yard, especially the weed eating. And I live in a corner, so I have a lot of sidewalk and I hate edging. I mean, I'm just complaining now. Okay, so that's, that's not my favorite thing to do. So that's not a good Sabbath activity for me. Even though it's not my job, it, man, it just feels like work and it wears me out, right? And so, but for me, I love to play basketball. I love to do things that refresh me in that way, right? But, but cutting the grass is not something I want to do. And the same for you. It's other different kinds of things, right? But set aside those things that feel like work to you. Things that, man, they just wear me out, which means you're going to have to plan for it, right? You better cut the grass on Saturday, so you don't have to do it on Sunday or get a letter from your HOA, which is what happens to me most of the time, right? Got to cut the grass, man. Why don't you cut the grass, right? Or maybe it's laundry that's got to be done. Or maybe you hate cooking, right? And so you need to prepare some things during the week for if we want anybody to eat on Sunday, we're going to have to be ready for that, right? There are things that to you, man, they just feel like work. They may not be your primary task or your primary vocation, but they just drain you. That's not helping you Sabbath and connect with the Lord. So set those things aside, but prep for them. Now I'll say this, parenting is work, right? And that's good. That's a normal thing. It's okay for you to say yes to that, that parenting is work, right? And you can't set aside your family on Sabbath, right? So you have to prepare for things, but you can do things in a different kind of rhythm, in a different kind of way that sort of makes space for some really precious and good things to happen. And we're not pressing into getting the laundry put away and finishing up schoolwork and doing all of these kind of things, right? So learn how to set aside things that feel like work. The next one, as you're setting aside the things that feel like work, do some things that refresh you and give you life. For some of you guys, that's yard work. You like to go sit on the tractor and mow and think and sweat a little bit. And man, that just kind of, if it fuels your tank a little bit, then great, go and do it. Like I mentioned, for me, that's playing basketball. 
I get to the end of a couple hours of playing basketball and I am physically drained, but my spirit is energized. I mean, it just gives me life. I walk away from it feeling excited. I've got energy. I'm ready to do all kinds of things because it just fills me up. For us as a couple, we love having good friends over. Um, we love having people come into our home and just hang out and talk. And now we all know the difference between the people who give you life and the people who require work, right? And you need to be around all of those people at different times, faithfully serving, walking with people in life. But when it comes to this day, man, it's just a great day for us to have people in our home that give life to our souls, right? Talk about the deep things of God, drink coffee, play games with them, whatever it might be. And so for us, Sunday nights have really become a great night to invite good friends over and just like sit around. Maybe it's in the winter, so we have like three months of winter in Texas. And so we start a fire or three, three weeks of, of winter in Texas. So we start just sit around, kind of sit out by the fire, but just connect with people because it gives life. For you, maybe it's reading. I mean, I love to read. Or maybe you read all the time and reading a novel on that kind of day will be different. Or maybe it's napping. Anybody here like, that's my Sabbath language, napping, right? It might be napping. It might be playing games with your family. It could be watching golf or going for a bike ride or a hike, going fishing. It might be hanging out with family, right? It could be crafting. Now, scrolling through Pinterest doesn't count as crafting, right? It might be actually working on some things that you like putting things together like that. You might like to go to the park. My parents, um, they just love to go for a drive. On a Sunday afternoon, especially in the fall, they just get in the car and drive like an hour and a half somewhere, and they just drive back. And it just like fills their cup. They talk a little bit. They just see all these pretty things, you know, but something that gives you life, right? So this, this whole principle kind of of don't just not go to work and lay on the couch, but do some things that energize your spirit and energize your mind. For my wife, man, nature just makes her worship, you know? And like, I appreciate the things God has made, but after like 30 minutes, I'm like, not all kind of looks the same. And I don't say that trite. That's just the way I process it. Like my wife could just be in it and walk through it. And it's like such a stirring thing for her and a great thing to do, especially when we go away on trips and go and be around these kinds of things that it leads us to worship. So do do some things during Sabbath that refresh you and give you life. Another one, and this is one of the most important pieces, purposefully turn your eyes and your heart to Jesus. Psalm 121 verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So think about this. You're stopping the production of work to rest and trust God or to sleep, right? And we feel frantic about all the things that maybe are not happening, but it's saying he is the one who keeps you and he doesn't sleep. He doesn't need to rest. That while we're resting, he is working those things out for us. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, it's just a chance for us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the finisher, the sanctifier of our faith. He's the one who works it out in us. So we focus our eyes on it. It's a chance for us to remember whose we are and remind ourselves what he's like and reconnects our hearts with his, right? So we set aside time with Jesus to read your Bible and listen to him as you read. 
Maybe it also means listening to gospel-rich songs or reading some gospel-rich books that turn your hearts deeply toward the things of God and Jesus. Man, but don't, don't substitute things about him for actually connecting with him relationally, right? But connect with him. And I just say this, one of the best ways to do this is to consistently participate in a corporate worship gathering. I mean, this is, that's the whole purpose of why we're here is to recenter our hearts on Jesus, to pray together corporately, right? To join our hearts in these things together, to confess our sins together, to sing these gospel songs together, right? To listen to the word of God's taught and read over us and interact with it and have the gospel proclaimed to your hurts, and proclaimed to your weary spirit and proclaimed to your sin and your needs and just to a place where you just worship him. That's the whole purpose of why we gather together. And so one of the best ways to consistently in your Sabbath fix your eyes and your heart on Jesus is to gather with the body of Christ, to be encouraged, to encourage and to specifically sing these songs and read these words and hear the voice of God as we focus on him together. That we specifically make time and push that out together into our lives. And so we're working toward that together during Sabbath. So specifically, very consciously and purposefully turn your eyes and your heart to Jesus. Make a plan for that during Sabbath. The next one, put things that rival your devotion to Jesus in their proper place. So this is hard. I think even when we're trying to focus on Jesus, we still have those other things kind of popping up back here, right? You can kind of feel it like right here somewhere, right? And so when it comes to this, you have to kind of consciously put those things in their proper place, which means leave work at work, right? If people's approval of you and your popularity or your image to them is what challenges you, then stay off the internet and stay off of social media. So you can focus on other things. If it's possessions for you, then learn to live very simply on those days, right? If it's pleasure or entertainment, then consume less of it and go be with people and let God refine your heart in that way. But put those things in their proper place, right? So you're deciding, man, there's some things that we just won't do on this day. And it might be hard to consciously put that in God's hands. But when those things challenge you, just pray. Man, just give it to God. I am feeling a struggle with this right now. I know you know this. I know you see what I need. I know you see the struggles and the temptations in my heart, and I just entrust it to you. I entrust particular things to you. Like one of those for me is family. Like, man, if there were a few things that would compete for my affections for Jesus, my family's one of them. I just love these people. I love being with them, right? And so for me, I can't just set them aside on those days and say, you guys need to go be in your proper place. I'm going to go be with Jesus. But what it does mean is that I seek him first and I seek him most, right? And then I rise early and just focus my eyes on him so that I can see all these things in perspective. And then I give my family to him. Man, God, you love them more than I love them. You want more for them than I want for them. So it's okay for me to stop and just trust you with it this day. Go serve them and serve you and focus our eyes on you together. But very consciously, for some of you, you need to identify what that is, you know. Like we don't just say sort of a generic word of a thing that challenges. But what is it? Is it pleasure? Is it work? Is it family? Is it comfort? Is it people's approval of you? You need to do some heart work to figure out what those things are and then purposefully maybe talk to your spouse, talk to your community, talk to the church people about those things and go help me to put those in their proper place. Help me to identify them and then entrust them to the Lord and let him work out those idols that are in my heart. And then the last one I'll give you, examine and recalibrate your rhythms. So man, you look at your life. Where's your money going? Where's your time going? 
What people are you spending time with or not spending time with? What activities are you involved in? What things do you have in your life? And ask two questions. Number one, what king or what kingdom are they serving? So look at your life, all the things in it, all the things you're spending time on. What king or kingdom are those things serving? What master are they going after? And you may find you need to make some adjustments in those things. Sometimes they're major things. Other times they're just course corrects, man. But ask people to speak into your life. What things do you see in my life that might challenge my allegiance to Jesus? Or, hey, look at my life, man. Give me some honest feedback. If you were just looking at me and I couldn't defend myself, what kingdom does it look like I'm serving? Just ask those questions. And then number two, is it sustainable? Are you living in a way that's healthy, that's gospel-saturated, that's Jesus-centered, that's sustainable for the long haul? For some of you, maybe the pace is just too high. You're just going too fast and doing too many things. Or maybe for some of you, you're just giving your time and your energy and your money to too many different directions. And so everybody's getting a little, but you don't have enough for your one master. And you don't have enough to serve him in the areas that he really wants you to serve him in faithfully. And so those two questions, man, ask people, get feedback, pour those things in, but take that opportunity, especially as you maybe do this monthly or annually, to examine your life and start to recalibrate some of those things so that they go after the one master. And just really all comes back to this, that Sabbath is when we remember who our master is, what he's like, and reconnect our hearts to his. Let's be honest, I don't think anybody in this room wants to serve two masters. I don't think anybody in here is going, man, I'm really running, after, running hard after both of these things. I don't think that any of us are doing that. And man, you're here for one of two reasons. Either you've made it your aim to follow Jesus or God is pursuing you toward that end. And that's why you're in the room today. So I would just encourage you to give your heart and your life more fully to him. Whatever race it is that you're running, slow down the race to hear his voice and find out what he's really like and trust your heart and your life fully to him. I mean, it's just so cool when you, you think about the big corporate picture of that. Imagine what this church would be like if it was filled with people who were wholeheartedly devoted to one master whose whole life and whole heart, I maybe have my hands and time and a lot of other things, but at the end of the day, for me, everything is about Jesus. You had just a church that was filled with people who could really say that, man, people would notice. People would be drawn to that. They would be adding to the number day by day, those who are being attracted to the community of God's people. Your neighborhoods would be impacted by that, right? These cities here, They'd be changed by a group of people who are living that way and whose lives were playing out in that way, wholly devoted to one master. Man, I just said it at the beginning. We love you guys. To us, Covenant Church is sisters and brothers striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, man. And we pray for you guys. Um, we love you deeply and we trust God for really big things in your midst. Um, so I would encourage you and even challenge you to, as you walk away today, what would it look like for you to more fully devote your heart to the master? Maybe for some of you, you've never been devoted to him. And today's the first day for you to consider what would it look like for me to give my life to a master whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light because of what he already did for us. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we thank you for your great grace to us that um, where we had nothing to offer, you intervened and accomplished everything that had to be accomplished for us in Christ. And now our lives are hidden with him through our faith in Jesus. 
And so, God, we pray that as we work these things out practically, that we would be led by your spirit, that in everything we do, God, that you would be our great Lord and keeper. God, that you would watch over us, that you would give grace where we need it, um, that we would trust in you when we need it instead of working so hard to finish all of these things that we have to this point not finished or not worked out in our life. God, help us to trust in you. I pray for some today maybe who've never put their faith in Jesus, that today would be that day. They would see that it's not about a God who's demanding things. It's not about religion. It's about coming to a Savior whose yoke is easy and his burden is light because he gave himself for us. And I pray for Covenant Church that you would unify their hearts in love behind the purpose of following Jesus as the one and only master and that you would impact these neighborhoods and these cities with the deep truth of the gospel through their lives together. We pray in Christ's name. We are um, going to observe communion as a consistent practice today. And uh, I don't know all the ins and outs of how you guys do it here, but I just want to read a passage for us um, that will give you some fuel to just sort of interact with what God is doing in our midst this morning and just trust you and trust the Spirit to work in your heart in the midst of that. So I want to read this passage and then just pray for us and just give you a moment to kind of do business with the Lord. And then as you feel ready... Your pastors and elders invite you to come and take a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, and celebrate communion. Um, This is for believers as we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Man, if you'd say, I don't know that I'm a believer or I'm not following him in obedience, this is a great time for you to just sort of listen um, and ask the Lord, what is it that he is saying to you right now? What does he want from you this morning? In Hebrews chapter 12, again, verse 1, it says, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he is our intercessor. We celebrate communion because we're restored to God through the body and the blood of the one man, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for it. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts with conviction. We give you everything we have in the name of Christ. Amen.